better at the moment. Mm. But look, we're we're in control of of things now. So thanks everyone for being patient as we got started. And uh, yeah, look, hopefully today is a really interesting webinar. Uh, I think a lot of people probably think that if you're lucky enough, uh, probably not lucky, if you've worked hard enough to be able to score this well uh, in the GAMSAT, that you're pretty much a sure thing to, to be getting into to medical school. However, I have had the, uh, I guess, distinct um, displeasure over the years of uh, working with people, seeing people that have unfortunately achieved this amazing milestone and then not been able to see it through and get to uh, the, the other side. So yeah, that's been, um, that's been, uh, I guess, a bit frustrating to see because you always do want to see people um, do their absolute best and, and I guess, get all of the um, all of the, the best outcomes based on their, their hard work. But uh, yeah, it can happen. And today we're going to talk about things that you can do to, you know, if the results do come out and they're in your favour and they're, they're very, very good, to avoid uh, being that particular, that particular person. So, uh, Tom, we might move to the next slide, uh, I think. Oh. And uh, I, I'm, for those of you who don't know me, I'm the, um, uh, the headless person. So, got a bit of background noise there. That's my story. Bit of background. I think we just added everybody in. So, everybody's just joining now. Um, so oh, for those cool. of you that are, that are joining us, um, sorry about the late start today. We just had some technical issues, um, but we're excited to have you with us. Um, and we might start from the beginning again, Scott, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, well, maybe maybe we'll start again. Uh, we don't need to necessarily start on this slide, Tom. Uh, probably good to start with the, the actual introduction. So um, to those of you that don't know me, uh, my name's Dr. Scott Fraser. I'm the, the founder and CEO here at Fraser's Medical. Uh, and I guess what we're talking about today is something that over the, the years I've seen a little bit, which is people that score really, really highly on the GAMSAT. And this isn't, you know, kind of well where you score a 70 or maybe a very high 60s. This is into the 80s as your overall score, uh, which means you've absolutely crushed the GAMSAT. And you're probably feeling really good about yourself, really good about what's to come. Uh, and uh, I've seen people like this, they jump on forums and um, yeah, there's a lot of sort of chest beating around, well, look, I'm, I'm in now. Uh, and if I don't get in, there's something wrong with this process. Well, no, there's nothing wrong with the process. The universities have set up the process the way they have and it, it makes a lot of sense. And yeah, lots of people that have done this do end up missing out. And there are some really common threads because this, I guess the difference between me and maybe other people that you uh, hear talk about this online uh, is that I've been doing this for almost 15 years now. So I've been seeing it well over that period of time and it is a consistent, consistent theme and a consistent thread. Whereas a lot of other people, it's very anecdotal. It's like their, their take from their one year of doing the process uh, and there's nothing longitudinal about what they've done or uh, nothing scientific about the way that they're approaching it. So today, hopefully we'll talk about some of these things uh, and these, these common I guess, fallacies that are built into the, the preparation process of people that score really highly so that you can avoid them uh, when your scores come out and hopefully you do get a fantastic score and you can move on to the next stage confident, not just because you've got a good GAMSAT score, but because you're set up to do well at the next stage. And Tom, do you want to maybe do your quick introduction? 
Yeah, so uh, nice to meet you all. My name's Tom Spalding. Um, I'm currently a medical student at ANU, uh, pretty far down the line now. I'm in my third year, so um, I was telling Scott before. I'm really keen to have a chat with you guys. Um, I guess uh, the my background here within Phrases is that I manage the interview program that we run, um, which sort of specialises in both applications and interviews. Uh, a big part of all of that is making sure that, you know, we're giving customised and personalised feedback to people that come through to us and, and have questions. Um, so, yeah, I'm keen to have this chat today. This is something we see all the time and not just something I see with students that are coming into our program, but also things I see when I'm in medical school or um, when I'm talking to pre-medical students that I meet on the day-to-day -day at university. Um, I often meet people who got really, really great GAMSATs and maybe have been given an interview offer maybe four years in a row and keep consistently mucking up that interview, not getting where they wanted to be, even though they've got really great scores and GPAs. Um, but the reality is the interview is a very, very important part of the application. So let's have a little bit of a chat about this today. And uh, as always, I encourage you all to you know, speak up, unmute, ask questions if you like. Um, and Scott and I will be really keen to have a chat to you about these different things. Um, so let's take you through what we're going to be talking about today. And um, we've, Scott and I both got slightly different perspectives on this. So we might have different opinions and, and I'm really excited to have a discussion about it. Uh, we talk about the next steps in your application. So what are the next barriers between now and there? A lot of people sort of finish GAMSAT and go, oh, I'm free, I'm done, I'm ready to go. Um, but the reality is there are some more things, some more very, very important things. Um, and so we'll talk about that. We're going to talk about overconfidence and what can go wrong. Scott's got some great tips for you and, and some great experiences that he can talk about. Um, we've also got some of our tips for success, and we'll talk through a little bit of a blueprint of what we recommend generally for people who want to prepare for their interviews. Um, and I think a big overwhelming theme you'll notice today is that we recommend you start your preparation early. Don't be the guy that, you know, starts preparation two days before the interview, like many people do. Uh, and don't, then we'll don't, be the, don't be the person that starts their preparation uh, early. The person, right. Uh, yeah, don't, don't be that person. Um, make sure you're starting that preparation early. Give yourself every chance you can because this is really important. Um, and we'll do questions at the end. Uh, although you are allowed to ask questions along the way as well. Yeah, um, I have actually put everyone on mute because we're having a couple of issues there with people, um, I guess, leaving themselves uh, on unmute. So if you have questions, drop them in the chat uh, or better yet in the Q&A. Uh, if you put them in the Q&A, then we can, we can address them uh, as we go through. But otherwise, I guess whoever's not talking will be doing a lot of the, the moderating and, and chatting to you. But uh, yeah, keen to get going. Okay, so I, I guess I'll start with my little bit of an overview here. So, um, you know, this represents a little bit of a timeline of, of where we are now and where we're going. Uh, so most of you have sat GAMSAT, you're, you're at that point um, where you're thinking, okay, now now's time, let's try and get admission to 2024 medicine. Uh, you'll be along this road of results coming out soon. Uh, we've got our applications due on the 31st of May for everyone. Um, and so that when, when you're thinking about applications, that's your GEMSAS preferences, that's written statements, things like that. And about uh, some way mid-June, you'll also have to submit all of your rurality statements or bonus schemes, things like that. 
Um, and then we have our offers on the 1st of September and move through to interviews very quickly. Interviews run through September. Now, I guess a big point um, of this, and, and Scott had Scott and I had a, a slight disagreement about the percentages of here, but uh, you know, I guess the key thing I wanted to say, and, and Scott will point I put across his point as well, is about 60% of applicants start preparing in this, this area here. And we both agreed on that. Like there is a there is a, a large majority of applicants that start their preparation in this phase where they're starting that interviews. Um, and then there's also a, a smaller, much more smaller proportion of applicants that start their preparation in this earlier phase. Okay. Now, the, the key messages here are in order to be in the game, to, to give yourself any chance, you've got to be one of the 80% here um, that are preparing. You know, you, you've got to be preparing yourself. You know, we, we've excluded 20% here because about 20% of people just sort of turn up on the day, think they're going to be all right. And that's, you know, quite typically your archetype of, you know, 80 plus or they're the people that aren't preparing at all. So our, you know, one of the pieces of advice here is to, to get yourself in the game, you've got to prepare. And then to sort of get that leg up to, to do even better than that, you know, you could be part of this 20%, be part of this group of people that start preparation early, start that um, preparation around now. And, uh, you know, that's, that's going to be really important. We'll talk a little bit later in the workshop about you know, sort of why we think starting preparation early works and, and what sort of things you can do now. But uh, yeah, that's the key message at this stage. Scott, what, what are your thoughts on all this, all this? Yeah, Tom, I think you know exactly what's going through my head, the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, this, this reminds me exactly of the perfect team uh, in, the, in the pursuit of success. And uh, I remember the year that the, the Miami Heat beat them in the NBA Finals. Uh, it was very painful for me. Uh, I don't want to derail this webinar, but I can talk to you about the electricity going out on a, on a beach while I was in, in Bali. And then when it came back on, the Spurs had lost after an unlosable lead. I go for the Spurs, by the way, so this is very traumatic. Um, this, this, is about, this is a personal station. You're consoling me on, on what happened here. Um, but what what happened immediately after that is thank you Sharon is they they actually stayed on court the court the coach said stay on court watch the celebrations watch what you've missed out on and there's no days off we start tomorrow and so they were that 20 percent they they started early uh, and they just went step by step by step by step and the following year except for one game it was a bit of a blip they they came back and they swept hate. Um, Basically, uh, they, they go, the refs gave the heat a game, but um, it was an absolute annihilation. And that's because they they had that focus and and they got in there early. So, yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for, for building early. The, the other thing, though, is like we, we are conditioned in, I would say, the modern educational frameworks and landscapes about being able to do a lot in a really short space of time. You know, we leave our study when it comes to uni until SWAT back and until that week before exams, and we still do well. We still get H1s and high distinctions and those types of things. Because you can, the syllabus is known and, and there's, there's no knowns. Same when it comes to high school as well. So the difference between a person that is really pedantic and studies for a long period of time versus a person that studies really smart in this really short burst is minimal, if there at all. For things like this, you will notice the difference between a person that has 
everything together and understands themselves in the process versus someone who's tried to get it all together at the last minute. It, it will actually show and it will uh, shine through. So that's another reason why you should um, uh, be, be in that 20%. Yeah, so you think about this timeline, Scott, like, uh, you know, people finish GAMSAT 22nd of March. I mean, the only real commitment when it comes to your medical application outside of if you're finishing a degree or something like that along this phase is your six GEMSAS preferences or a written statement if you're going for University of Wollongong. But really, outside of that, there's no other commitment required in this process Um that is not interviews. So, you know, you've got all the time in the world here to to start that preparation early. There's there's nothing else really that's competing for your time when it comes to this sort of uh, application entry space. And just as I'm sure most of you dedicated quite a bit of time for your GAMSAT, you want to sort of dedicate that time and, and, and passion into preparing your interviews as well. But yeah, should we move on to the next slide, Scott? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, I'll let you take lead on this one. Yeah, cool. So when we when we come to sort of the eighty plus sitter archetype, there's something that's that's quite common for most of them. And and I will give my apologies to uh, those of us that are able to score eighty plus and be very well rounded, uh, which there are some people that can do that that, that tend to score very highly across the board. I'm talking seventy plus in all sections. Uh, usually with a bit of a cherry on top in one of the three sections that, that gets them above 80. But usually when you look at 80 plus sitters, you see a really common trend. They have a nearly perfect score in section three. Uh, so uh, well and truly 90 plus, if not 95 plus. Uh, and that's a, that's a really common thread. They usually do pretty well in section two. So they'll score above 70, uh, which is, which is a good effort. And section one's, pretty normal, like it's around the median um, or below. So I've given a couple of examples here where you can see the breakdowns and what sort of overall score they give. And there's a pretty strong correlation here between the fact that one of the sections is okay slash uh, sub-median um, and this phenomenon that a lot of 80 plus sitters, as Tom said, they sit out working hard during the interviews. And then the other thing is they prepare in a way that feeds into biases that, that are already existing rather than kind of destroying the biases and making sure that they're very holistically prepared. Uh, and that's section one. So section one is, is the section of the GAMSAT that's very much testing uh, your, your empathetic, comprehensive skills, your ability to break down uh, information that comes in different forms. Uh, a lot of it is in a human form. Uh, I often give the analogy in the masterclasses that in, in section one, the GAMSAT's talking to you, uh, like it's the patient and it's your ability to interpret. And section two, you're talking back to the GAMSAT. Uh, you're, you're showing your ability to communicate in the other direction. So between section one and two, there's a bit of bi-directional communication. And if you think about what is a core skill that you really want to be able to do well in an interview, it's listen. The ability to do well in the stations is not about talking, it's about listening. Do you understand the question? Do you understand what's being asked? And as a result, can you give an answer that is consistent with your own knowledge of what they're asking, as well as making sure that you've truly understood what is being asked from you? That is a really, really common thread that I see in a lot of people 
that have these really high scores and then don't do well is the section one score is the is the big flag and the big indicator. It's not your overall score. It's like, ah, oh, I'm already in and I'm going to be great at interviews. Now your overall score just says you're definitely in those upper echelons when you frame all of those things together. But your section one score is probably the sectional score that correlates highly to how you're going to do in the interview. Um, <clears throat> you could make an argument for section two, though I do think a lot of section two success these days is, is coming up due to frameworks. And there are some people that are, that are going around just genuinely hacking section two. So it's not necessarily a reflection of their own actual ability in that type of a scenario. And again, you will see that breakdown in the scenario. So when you combine that with no interview preparation, you go into these scenarios and they genuinely catch you off guard. And so I'll give you a scenario of a student. Um, this student actually offered to be on this webinar, which I thought says a lot for them as a person, for the fact that they were willing to, to get in there and actually offer their feedback and insights uh, to people. But we decided it, it was it was actually a little bit um, risky for them. Uh, their university isn't too bad, but some of the universities these days are being a bit draconian around the, the participation of students, helping other students in their preparation. And yeah, they, they are now in medical school, four years after when they should be in medical school. So this person uh, has scored 98, 99, 100, and 100 in section three in their four sittings. They've always bumped up their section two scores. I know because we, we were able to work with them in a couple of instances, but in every single instance, their attitude was, I don't need interview help. My score is really, really good. I can just go on the subreddits and on paging doctor and I can get all the information I need. And the key thing that they say, and this is always like a, a red flag or a red light to me, is like, and I'll find last year's questions. Okay, this isn't about memorization of last year's questions, but if you want to go down that um, negative rabbit hole, you're welcome to do so. And off they go. And every single time they got interview offers, of course, you're going to get an offer with those types of scores. So, you know, your GPA is nearly seven, your GAMSAT's in the top one percentile, the offer will come and every single time they've missed out. Why are they at medical school? You said doesn't have an interview. So that's where they are, uh, but they were able to get around that. And I think genuinely, uh, and I think they would admit that too, if they were here today, if, if they were still going through the process, they'd probably still be going through the process this year with everyone else here, because that it was only just starting to sink into their head that, hey, Maybe I am actually doing this wrong. Maybe I am making too many assumptions about the other aspects of, of my profile that will lead me to be selected. So hopefully that, that gives an example. And that, that's just one example. These, these people exist every single year uh, without doubt, without fail. And, and this is a common thought process behind the way they go about things. Um, Tom, did you want to add anything in there? I also haven't been watching the chat. Maybe there's oh, some good questions there as well. Maybe, maybe yeah, you could jump onto the chat. I, I guess I've got like a, an anecdote here um, that's very, very recent, actually. Um, when I left my undergrad uh, degree in, in ANU, uh, probably about three and a half years ago now, uh, so it's been a while, uh, I had two friends that graduated at the same time as me. And these two friends scored much higher than me in everything. Uh, way better GAMSATs way better GPA, um, they were very talented on, on that approach. Now, both friends 
said, okay, great. I've got these great scores, got interview offers straight away. And I went and did the preparation straight away. I actually did the Fraser's course. Um, and I was happy I got that offer. Uh, the second friend, he sort of went, oh, you know, I don't, I don't think you really need to prepare. Like, I'm not sure I wanted to do it. Um, he was a bit on and off about, you know, whether he wanted to do honours or not. And uh, in the end, he didn't really prepare much. He sat the interview and, and just sort of didn't, wasn't successful, kept moving on. So he, um, and then the third friend was like, no, don't need preparation. Got these great scores. It's all good. Um, and I guess it wasn't like a, it wasn't like an arrogance thing or anything. They were just like, this is how I think it is. This is how I think the system works. Um, and so it wasn't like they were actively avoiding preparation. They just didn't think they needed it. So we move a, a year further. The friend that went and did honours, he went and did it at Unimel, came back and said, okay, um, I am going to do preparation. Tom, how, how did you do your interview? I sat down with him, did some preparation, and we got him in. He, he was in. Um, started his medical degree, so he's the cohort right behind mine, starting year two right now. The third med student also got another interview offer, said, kept saying, nah, last year was just a fluke, still don't need preparation, busy, um, you know, the, the system shouldn't work like this. And so he missed out again. Um, and then so we come to last year, the admission for last year, the third friend and, and the one in the middle that had already gotten into medicine, we both sort of ganged up on him and said, no, come on, mate, you've got to do your preparation. Come on, let's ju just do it. And we sat down with him. Uh, I, I think I did a session a week with him for four weeks. Um, and he he got into medical school like 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 that it was really great it was an amazing thing to see um and he realized even after the first time he started doing that preparation it was like oh i can see how bad i am at these questions and i listened to these questions and he said oh yeah i've been giving this answer for two years and he was saying some of the things that were just not rounded they were not well thought out um they would they would what you think maybe an interviewer would want to hear but it wasn't actually what an interviewer wants to hear and so um, it's interesting, like a story of three friends and three different approaches with three, you know, sets of good marks. Um, and it's it's great that we're now all in medicine, but there are some lessons that could have been learned from that. Um, and, and it could have made things a lot easier for especially the third guy as well. Uh, so, yeah, that's my my anecdote. And we're all in ANU now in different cohorts. Um, so, yeah. And all lovely people. Um <clears throat> Yeah, it's, it's nice. It's nice. In some ways, it's nice to have kind of seen that. Um, it's also like kind of a shame because I guess we all know that that that's two years um, that that person would have had. They would be they would be in a later cohort. And at the end of the day, like um, uh, I often say this to to staff, like medical school is is not the goal. Sorry, like right now it is, uh, and you think it's a it's a valid goal and it's a a lofty career ambition. It's not even a career ambition. So it's hardly even an ambition. Uh, and that sounds really savage and, and really harsh, but it's not, you shouldn't think of that. Like, that's not your peak. Your peak is to get to the other side. Your peak is to go through uh, your internship training and network and, and make amazing networks with the the wonderful uh, people that we have in the Australian medical system to do some, to do some research in an area that you're passionate and potentially even get some placement overseas or something like that. And then, you know, to get onto the training program that, that you fall in love with. That's the goal. And so I think part of this is also like reframing. And when you reframe that, it's like, well, two more years away from specialty training. That's that's awful. Like that that is actually valuable time I'm missing out. I need to, I need to just cut bait. 
uh, and move on here. And I think that's that's probably maybe when you're in the stage of life like I am, definitely the way people look at things. Uh, and maybe because you're a little bit younger, you don't yet. But I think if you were going to steal something from someone my age, that's what you should be stealing. I guess we move so on. let's move on. Let's yeah. move on, Tom. Um, it's uh, it's meme time. Uh, hopefully, everyone's seen this Instagram reel. I I've laughed so many times at this. This is this is so good, uh, and it's so good for so many reasons. Also, because it's you can you know this would happen, where you've got this person just actively making up lies for their college admissions video. We know people do this. Uh, we know people uh, conflate the truth uh, and what have you. And it's just hilarious watching mum and dad break down in laughter as this person tries to explain what they do in their daily routine when clearly none of it is true. And, and that is the big mistake here. Uh, so this family, actually, if we're talking about what is a a good family and friends sort of bubble to have around you, this mum and dad are good because they're not letting her get away with a lie. They're In this case, they're using humour. I actually don't think they have a choice. Like, it's, it is too funny. They're using humour to kind of laugh it all the way. But, like, this is ridiculous. Stop making this stuff up. Uh, but more often than not, and if we just go on to the next slide, Tom, the, the big mistake... Uh, that we have is we put ourselves inside an echo chamber uh, and the echo chamber is family and friends and people that aren't capable and Tom actually mentioned this before of giving us objective feedback we need objective feedback we don't need feedback that reinforces things that aren't actually necessarily true and that haven't been properly tested because a lot of the opinions that exist on what makes a good interviewer uh, and what makes a good process are heavily informed by people's own experiences with that and what they believe it is. And so the common things that you tend to hear uh, are things like, oh, this person is a public speaker, so they're going to be okay. And um, you know, they've been doing debating at school, so uh, we, we know that they, they're going to be fine. And they're really, really confident when they speak. Cool. You can be confident and wrong. In fact, look at the Australian Parliament. I think you'll find that that's a pretty good example of confident and wrong on a regular basis. That's uh, that's actually one of the best analogies I've I think I've ever come up with on the spot. So you can be confident and wrong, and as a result, you can stuff your interviewer perfectly fine. Uh, then there's the that sort of I guess when it comes to friends because we're kind of in that same boat together. And this is where we're almost playing a trick on ourselves. We're like, oh no, I am preparing for the interview. I'm just preparing with a group of friends. <clears throat> um, yeah, I'm just preparing with a group of friends. And so this is preparation. And uh, what we try to do, and this is actually, it's not a, a coming from a bad place. It's coming from a good place because we're good people and we care about the people around us. We do say, hey, that was great. You're really, really well done. Um, yeah, I, I love the way you did this and that. And there's nothing negative in there. There's nothing constructive in there. It's just positive reinforcement. And that's great for Instagram and Facebook. It's like, oh my God, babe, you look so good. Yeah, we, we want to feel like the, the makeup routine looks great or the new, the new kicks uh, indeed 
good. You didn't buy the wrong Jordans. You bought Jordan threes instead of Jordan fours. Let's let's not, you know, make out that you made that great mistake. <clears throat> but we 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 give you that that feedback anyway because we care about you. We're worried about you getting hurt. But to be able to do well, to be able to grow and evolve, there's going to need to be some pain in that process, and there's going to need to be some awakening. And <clears throat> to give an example, I've got two examples from last year. One student who the year before had three interviews. They had Flinders, they had ANU, they had Bond, and they missed out on all three. I met the parent uh, at an event that was going to sign this person up for an international university with no questions asked. And I said, hey, I know your child. They're a great person and they have all of the attributes. They're just hidden. Uh, your, your child has these qualities. And the parents said, no, 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 we, we worked with this particular person. So like they worked, they did actually get some prep. And this is something else I haven't put in here directly, but they got prep from one of those people that says, rehearse these answers for these universities. There are people out there that basically collect all the questions from the previous year, collate them, and then give you a set of scripted responses for every single question that has ever been. Um, those people are really dangerous because you will come across to an interviewer as completely fake. That is very detectable. If you think that an inter a good interviewer can't tell, they can categorically tell. And so to me, I was like immediately, well, yeah, now I understand why you've stuffed up all of those interviews um, so well. When I got talking to this person about why they wanted to do medicine, et cetera, it was awful. It was, it was an absolute train wreck. I could tell it wasn't coming from them. Uh, I could tell it wasn't really why they wanted to do medicine. Uh, there was no conviction in what they were saying whatsoever. And when I scratched the surface on like things that they liked, um, and I am actually a bit of a shout out to, to Heidi, uh, who's uh, one of the spin outs from Fraser's, they're, they're in MedTech. I said, you've got an IT background. Wouldn't you love to work in medtech one day and like merge your clinical knowledge and your love of IT to solve future problems? And their eyes just lit up and went, yeah, yeah, I would. That'd be amazing. I'm like, is this maybe why you want to do med? Like no echo chamber, just going through that process of, hey, these responses are awful. Let's, let's go into the hurt locker and find where the truth is. And when we got out the other side, what do you know? They're now at one of the top two. And I'll just say it's the, it's the one that has interviews. So you know where that is. Uh, the other one, I was actually at a, an event up in Queensland and a parent came up to a, a Fraser's booth, um, said, hey, I, I, you're Dr. Fraser, come to the side. I want to talk to you because um, this whole thing is a farce, you know, my son's a, a public speaker. He went to the most elite school here in Brisbane. He's got a perfect uh, GPA. And um, they give these stupid questions. But at the same time, we worked with this person. He gave, told us what all the answers needed to be. And these are the answers that, we, that, that he gave to this question. And I immediately just went through and said, okay, so this is, this is the answer to this question. He's like, yep, it was confident. It was clear. So I'm like, cool, and it's wrong. So that's a confident, clear, wrong answer that showed that A, you didn't understand the question because the question isn't asking. It was a DTEC question and I'm not going to say what it is because uh, I think the university wouldn't be thrilled with that uh, because you didn't understand the, the core principle of detechnicalization. Two, it was about understanding the people that were involved in the scenario. 
There's been no effort made to understand the other people other than yourself. This is an entirely from, uh, it's about me perspective answer to this question, rather than taking into account the stakeholders that are here. Um, and three, you know, you've, you've given a scripted response and, and as a result, I can see that no thought has gone into this. There's no arming and ahhing. This is a really, really hard question. If with a question like this, that is so hard, that would floor even the best interview person to an extent, like when, when you've got your couple of minutes reading this question, it'd become like, wow, this is, this is really, really hard. For there to be zero arms and zero R's and zero pauses, something's up. There's, there's nothing natural there. So I think the, the mistake number two here is that you build these echo chambers and you don't go through the process of development. And if you think about <clears throat> the greats at something, you know, Kobe Bryant never needed a coach, but he had one because he wanted he wanted the, the harsh criticism, the harsh feedback. He wanted to get better. Novak Djokovic doesn't need a coach. He works with one and he works with coaches because he wants to get the critique so that he can continue to get better. Uh, and that pains me to say, because for me, Rafa's the goat, but you know, you can see in the way Novak goes about it. And, and if we're going to stick with, with tennis, that's exactly why Kyrgios, who is the most talented person on the tour, is not in that echelon because he doesn't have a coach and he's not willing to go through that painful process of self-development and self-growth. That is really uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable <clears throat> to be in a spot where you're like, wow, I've got all of this negative feedback and um, where do I go from here? But to have something to work on, you need to go through that process. Uh, so if you're only working with family and friends and people that quite frankly, because they love you, they don't wanna hurt you, you don't get that objective feedback and you do run a risk of just being sort of same old, same old, or kind of missing the whole point. And you think you're doing well, you thought you've done well, but what's common with these people is they come out the other side and they're like, yeah. So one of two things is either complete ignorance, like the, the person up in Queensland where couldn't figure it out until I told them, or they walk out and they're like, yeah, that, that was actually really, really bad. And you can't ask for a redo. You've now got to wait 12 months, a whole 12 months of time uh, that, you're, that you're going to miss out on. So anything you wanted to, to add there? Um, look, I agree. I, uh, I think um, with this sentiment, you know, don't, I, I would say to students, like you can still practice with family and friends. Like I think they're still a great source. Um, when I was preparing for my interview, I actually spoke to my mum quite a bit. And, and had her sort of review some things. And while she didn't really give much feedback, it was good to have another person to like speak to because a big part of interviews is knowing how to deliver your responses. Um, some people aren't great public speakers. Public speakers. Some people aren't uh, really good interpersonal speakers. So if you're doing at that stage in your practice where you are pretty happy with what you've done, you've you've received some good feedback from you know different sources, and then you're trying to just you know, keep that practice up, keep, you know, speaking out loud and, and having those responses. Um, family and friends can be a good source for that. I guess the key point here is, is be wary of feedback you get from them because it will always be positive. It'll always be, 
oh, wow, that's really good. I'm sure you'll be fine. Like, because they want to make you feel better. And, and that's what family and friends are for. Um, I guess in, in the broader scheme of things, um, when it comes to, you know, preparing for your interviews with this whole echo chamber and having those pre-prepared answers, you don't want to do that. Um, there's two ways to go about interview, well, three ways, actually. Uh, there's one way, which is don't prepare at all. There's the other way, which is um, practice, you know, questions that have happened in previous years and, and, and form, you know, nice answers for every single one of them. And then there's the third way, which is, you know, actually think about what are the deeper implied questions that are in, within these um, interview questions. So, you know, it's not wrong to go, okay, well, last year and the year before and the year before that, they asked pretty much why you wanted to study medicine with different wording. And so it's important to think about what your answer would be to that and, and have some good consideration of that. Um, but don't, don't just sort of sit down one day and build your, you know, your amazing answer out of what you think the interviewer wants to hear, because the reality is that the best responses come from the, from the heart. Um, and so our role as an interview prep company is, is we sort of show you how to have that response from the heart and show you how to deliver it as best as possible. Um, you know, if you go through this echo chamber, if you, if you do, if you are a great student and you start your preparation early and you do this whole echo chamber approach where you're only practicing with these good people, you can get to September and you could have put yourself down a hole so, so far that we have to work really hard to get you out. Um, I've met a lot of students, you know, a week before their interview, they think they're doing really well. They give me their response to why medicine and theoretically it's okay. Like, you know, it might fool some of the interviewers, but it's very clear it's not truly then. And, and so I've had to sit down with this person for an hour and ask them, okay, just tell me your life story and we'll pick it. We'll work it out from that, you know, and, and we would just have a chat back and forth about um, sort of where they went to school, what their hobbies were, what they did, what they enjoyed, what, what they're passionate about. And from that, you know, we would have to do a lot of work in extracting what their passions were out of that and applying that to medicine and, and building a better response that's more genuine. Um, and so we have done that in September. It's very, very hard to pull yourself out of that those sort of fake answers. So our recommendation is, is start the right way. Start with a diversity of feedback. Start thinking about those questions deeper. Think about what they mean to you. Don't just give some plastic answer that we're going to have to fix up in September or that you're going to actually make it through to the interview and give and then it's not going to end well. So, yeah, I guess that's my, yeah. my points on this. No, good, good points, Tom. And I think you, you highlighted one thing that's really important there. So my contention here is not to totally ignore family and friends. Uh, it's more like there's a Venn diagram. And family and friends can be one of the circles, but they shouldn't be the circle that encompasses your interviews. Uh, and there's very few exceptions. Uh, and some people have even said to me, oh, my parents are doctors um, or they, they, they know people at university. X. Yeah, still biased, uh, still formative from their own experiences. Talk to most doctors that are you know, older than me now that are kids that are your age. And they'll tell you that the process is completely different. So this idea that because they have a professional background, even then, like, I just think this, this can be part of it. But if this is your Venn diagram, that is the echo chamber. So Tom's right. Definitely test it out on mum and dad. Definitely test it out on your friends. Uh, maybe just for that, that alternate feedback. Uh, sometimes it's nice to get some, uh, some non-medical, just general feedback, kind of file it in with everything else, but don't, don't make it your go-to. Hmm. And I guess, uh, here, interest you know, of time we might have to 
we might have to push on though, Tom, because we're we're nearing end time. And I think a couple of people have already DM saying they they need to head off right on right okay. on time. Uh, let's do that. Um, well, it actually leads into my next point here, um, which is sort of succeeding in your interview. Um, and I'll just sort of come, jump straight to this fourth point because it's really nicely contextualized by the last slide. So a lot of people have just heard us talk about how you should have a greater diversity of people to prepare with. So how do we take all of these anecdotes that Scott and I have pre presented and all of these key learnings and apply it to your preparation? What are some key things you can do? Like, what are the messages here? And so uh, off that previous slide, Think about different people. So some of you might be thinking family and friends. Oh, that's the only people I know. Who do I prepare with? You can prepare with study groups. Um, there's lots of places on Reddit. Phrases has a community page you can connect with people on. There's also um, interview tutors. If you're, if you're inclined and you want to do preparation that way, um, we're happy to help. Uh, there's a, a diversity of different places where you can get feedback from. And I encourage you to dip your toes into those pools and, and realize how good the feedback is from those places. Um, think about different formats here. So um, in adding diversity to your preparation strategies, you want to have, um, you know, recorded, record yourself um, giving a response, you know, use timers, use um, different lengths of time to answer questions. We usually say, you know, early preparation start thinking about answering your questions in about two minutes. Um, this is about the average of what the universities do in the end. Um, and so you can modify that later on um, and think about the different questions so the different uh, station types motivation questions scenario based questions ethical based questions indigenous health public health rural health um, dtech there's lots of questions out there so think about those different questions and so for there's, also, there's also a lot in the media at the moment as well around the medical system um, just just get more interested i mean the one thing that was interesting to me the other day, I was talking to some, one of our staff members based in the UK, and uh, I said, why are you not on rounds? Normally, it's crazy. He's like, oh, we're on strike. Hmm. And I was like, my God, how, how, how must the system be if doctors actually went on strike? Obviously, here we talk about it, but a doctor would almost never go on strike or if we do it's almost like we've got other teams of doctors ready to come in so that the system never really is put under the pressure of not having doctors things have got so bad in the uk that all of the junior doctors in the entire country went on strike and so consultants are in er rooms and whatnot trying to fill the void but categorically cannot fill the void so get get interested in this because that's the next phase of your career um yeah, definitely strong points there, Scott. I think there's there is a space, especially in those public health questions, where they will ask you things about um, current events. Um, and so, if you have a good understanding of the space and an interest in the space, you're able to confidently talk about uh, medical-based questions, even if it's specific or non-specific. Um, I guess going through these, finishing off these points um, in the interest of time. So, starting your preparation earlier, I hope that's been a key theme at this point. You know, think about starting tomorrow. What are you going to do this weekend? Um, maybe it's just sitting down for maybe thirty minutes and thinking, okay, why do I want to study medicine? What would I, uh, what would I say if someone asked me that right now? Um, and think about is that a good response? Is that something that um, is genuine to me? Um, and and that's a great starting point. Okay, and the next slide sort of goes through what you can do over the next couple of months. But um, yeah, start your preparation early. Um, view your interview preparation objectively, just as you did with GAMSAT. So our GAMSAT approach is timelines, section one, section two, section three. 
um, going to different types of classes. And you can do all of this with interviews. We have different questions. So you can sort of, you know, relate that to the sections. Different question types in interviews, are, you know, require different levels of practice and different methodologies for approaching it. Um, there are different ways you can learn. You can come to classes like this. You can do one-on-one -on -one practice. You can um, meet with tutors. You can um, do group tutorials or peer, peer practice sessions. Um, so there's, you know, objective ways you can actually make yourself better in your interviews. And it's now time to start engaging with those. And this third point is the last one I'll touch on with this slide, um, is think about those important questions early on. Um, so the best responses I've heard took months to, of year, to years of active consideration. People who have known for a good year or two why they really wanted to study, like really why they wanted to study medicine. What are those detailed things? Um, you know, what are your strengths and weaknesses? Have a good think about that. Um, you know, what aspects of medicine do you think you'll find challenging once you get into medicine? Uh, these are some of those important questions to start thinking about early on and not two, three days before your interview. So moving on, um, this is a bit of a blueprint. We made it last year and we found it was really successful with our students. Um, and it sort of takes your interview preparation through phases. Um, you're welcome to take a screenshot of this slide if, if you think it will help you. Um, but you're starting with your phase one. So this you're all at about here. Maybe you don't know much about interviews or you haven't sat an interview before. Um, and so here you want to orientate yourself with each section. So when I say section, I mean different question types. Motivation, um, you might think about ethical uh, base questions, scenario questions, your public health, um, break up the sections and have a good understanding of what type of questions generally fall under each uh, title. Um, once you understand sort of what you're aiming for and what you're doing, um, that's how you sort of build your response moving forward. Um, and then you might write down your ideas for each section. So, you know, what in public health, what public health issues are important to you? Um, how would you solve those issues if you were given a budget? Um, these are some key questions, and you want to write those ideas down for each of those sections. Phase two. Um, so this is where you're starting to develop structures. So we teach a lot of structures at Fraser's, um, you know, just step-by-step -step guides on, on what sort of things you should be considering in answering a question. So we talk a lot about the spikes structure for breaking bad news. Um, you know, you can go ahead and Google that one and, and sort of have a look more into that. Uh, but think about what structures you can use to answer this question. And this real this phase two really focuses more on improving your delivery rather than your content. So by now you've developed your ideas, you're thinking about your delivery, um, you're thinking about the structure of your responses, the timing. And then you come into phase three, and this is the biggest phase. This is the what you should be, you should be at about here by around July um, and just spend months doing that practice. Practice your key points. Um, and, and you'll want to work with the, that diversity of students and people we've talked about. Um, think about what are you actually saying? How are you saying it? Is it clear? Are you justifying every point that you're putting out there? So if you're saying, I think it, climate change is a really important health problem, you need to be really able to articulate that idea. Um, and that applies to everything. I want to study medicine uh, because I think I'll be able to help people on an extremely immeasurable level. Well, why? Why will why will medicine help you do that instead of some other career? Um, and so, and then also think about your body language. It's not a really big one, but that's often something you can pick up and nick early on. Maybe someone that is a bit closed off and and not as confident with their responses. So you can record yourself and review your responses, and you can also do this with all those different people we talked about earlier.
And so you come into phase four. So this is around September. You've maybe got your interview offer um, and you know what university you're going for. You'll think about what the timing is of that university. What are the specific questions that that, that university commonly does? Um, so not the wording of the questions, but the types of questions. Um, some universities don't go near public health. Some of them love public health. So you'll need to orientate yourself with what that university usually does um, and think about how can you best modulate your preparation um, at that stage. But by then, you should be really well versed on all of the different question sections. And then you're building confidence. You're just getting yourself ready for the day. And, and I really like when people say, oh, yeah, I'm practicing with my family this week because family are the best confidence boosters. That's when you should be starting to talk to them because, um, you know, they're going to be the ones that sort of go, yep, you're doing amazing. And, and that's really great. So uh, I guess uh, that sort of moves us through to the end stage here. Do we have any questions? Uh, we've got... We've got Scott's just uh, had to run off. He's, uh, he's moved into another meeting. He's a busy guy. Um, but I'm going to quickly skim through these questions in the chat and see if there's anything that's popping up. Um, could this also work for the GAMSAC sessions? Is as in this helps our approach to the questions? Yep, I think so. Um, any other questions, guys? Um, I'm I'm really keen to answer anything, even if it's not interview specific. Um, anyone want to? Are the practice questions available on GAMSAT's website? Yeah, good question. So I, I think we've got practice questions available on our Fraser's interview website. So you can actually um, scan this QR code and, and there should be some questions and resources that we've got free available on there. Coming later in the month, we'll have a uh, free interview atlas that becomes available. So that's just a sort of introduction to some of our resources that we have available. Um, and so hopefully that is something that you might be able to engage with. Um, for you, was there anything that threw you off during interviews? Great question. Um, I wasn't really quite prepared for an acting station that I had in my interview. And my interview was in person at ANU. And I remember walking into the room and there was glass windows on each door. So I looked into the room and I saw just one guy sitting at a desk and I walked in and hiding in the corner uh, behind the door was another guy. And he sort of scared me. So that sort of threw me off. Um, didn't think that was a great station for me, but I uh, ended up doing okay in the end. When does your interview prep course start? Is there one available now? Yeah, so you can start enrolling now and you'll get access to our resources. Um, and we're starting our you know, classes and things um, early May. Uh, we've also got our application sort of fundamentals style stuff that uh, will allow you to get into that um, course early and you can do some applications reviews. Um, there's some practice questions. There's a private tutorial available. So I definitely recommend checking out our website. You can enroll in all of them now and um, yeah, we'll definitely help you get through it. If you enroll now, good question, um, we have a money back guarantee. So if you enroll now and you don't get an interview offer, we just give you all your money back. Um, so that's that's available for you. Um, we do that every year and, and we find that, you know, most students are pretty happy with that money back guarantee. Is the interview for postgrad med the same as the interview for undergrad med? No, it's very different. Um, postgrad med requires a lot greater understanding um, of those public health, rural health and indigenous health issues. Um, there's also 
just a greater expectation that you'll be really in tune with why you want to study medicine and in tune with those personal questions. So postgrad is a little bit more involved than undergrad. Um, I think just because they're expecting the different age groups. Just confirming we can also take GAMSAT later in the year, right? Yeah, of course you can. So you can do September GAMSAT. The only caveat is you won't be able to use the September GAMSAT scores for the 2024 intake. So um, you won't be able to use any scores you get in September this year. Would health issues be usually Australia-specific or is it more international? It's generally Australia-specific. So they'll ask you a lot more about um, you know, sort of like uh, we, we had sort of a big COVID thing, but more around Australia's co response to COVID. Um, what else have they had recently? Uh, they talked about the digital health record um, as that was a sort of trending topic a while ago. So um, generally they're Australian specific. Um, and if you're asked more of like a broader question, like what are some issues that are important to you? Um, you know, it's it's always good to sort of go local um, because the people on the panels are generally doctors and people who are prominent in the health sector. And so they're going to be easier to engage with on Australian issues. Hope that answered your question, Shannon. Um, any other questions? I'm keen to help with anything. Um, is that the same with questions about Indigenous medicine? Is that Australian specific? Yeah, very much. Um, you know, Indigenous health issues aren't common internationally. Um, there are sort of hubs in the world, like especially in Canada, where Indigenous health issues are common. But, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, Australia's just got a big sort of Indigenous theme going. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's great. Like if you're in in coming from international, you want to have that that sort of research. So yeah, dive into some news articles like Scott mentioned. Yeah. I wish I could I, I could uh, help you all through it individually, but I'm keen uh, if, if you want to come and join us for a course, you know, you'll see me more in some workshops and I might try and get on some more of these more public ones as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interviews is a very tough thing. And, uh, you know, once you get through it, you'll hopefully be able to laugh about it. But yeah. Is there any other questions, guys? Otherwise, we will wrap up soon. With any of the, uh, yeah, one-on-one -on -one sessions? Yes, I do. Um, so if you, so I'll put my email in the chat, right? And uh, if you enroll in the course and you want to do your private tutorial with me, just as like a one-time offer, I'll put my email in the chat and just let me know once you're in the course and I'll um, I'll reserve your spot with me. There you go. Any more questions? I'll give it another 30 seconds without a question and then I'll wrap it up. Thanks guys. And I also put my email in the chat so you can email me questions later on as well. Um, all right, I'll wrap it up there.
thank you guys so much for coming today. And uh, I'd love to see you in future sessions or in future teaching. Um, yeah, best of luck with your applications. It's a, it's a difficult process, but I'm sure you'll all get there if you put your mind to it.